We're going to be back in 1 Peter today. We're going to be in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. And I'm at a slight disadvantage. I've been bringing both my Bible and my iPad the last couple of weeks and um, left the house this morning and did not have my Bible. So I've got both of them up on here, but I don't get to move around as much with this as I do with the Bible. But being that my back is hurting, no, I'm good. I'm probably not going to move that much anyway. Um, so just as kind of a review over the last week, it's hard. We'd have to spend a whole service, I think, looking over everything that we've looked at in the last couple of weeks. And let me say also, as I say that, I have really genuinely enjoyed being at First Peter. Um, I did not know when I started preaching this book, seems like two months ago, that I would get kind of stuck into it and enjoy it the way that I have. But I have really honestly enjoyed being in this book of Scripture. Um, because we need to be reminded, as we were last week, that we are a chosen people. That God chose us, that God saved us, that we are in fact His. Uh, we, we need that encouragement that God is doing something in us and through us and for us. That God is working on something, God is creating something. And like we said last week, we don't see what's on the top. We only see what's below. And so as a cross stitch, if you remember the example from last week, the cross stitch from the master side is beautiful. Uh, the cross stitch from the master side makes sense, but all we can see is this variety of colors on the bottom. And I think last week, the thing that spoke to me is that God is enough. Um, we need to be reminded of that. And I would say, if that does not permeate our heart, then we need to pray that God would allow that truth to permeate, to seep through, to go into the very small crevices of our heart, the microscopic crevices, even things that we can't even see with the modern day science. God would take that truth and just embed it in our DNA that loving God and Him loving us is ultimately enough. Because people disappoint Groups of people disappoint. Churches, for all that we try to do, we disappoint. There's nobody that can meet every need. There's nobody that can meet every perceived need. God is the only one who can bring honest and pure joy. So we're going to be in chapter 2 and verse 11. And Peter again is speaking to them uh, as they are being dispersed. Now, now, kind of reading over this again this morning, I've kind of went back to the scripture a couple times this week. This is the last thing that I wrote down thinking of this scripture is to realize that when Peter is writing this, he is writing it to those that have been dispersed, but his words in this letter are true for all believers. Um, all believers, whether they are free, whether they are slave, whether they are rich, whether they are poor, whether they are in authority or they are not in authority, the truth of scripture is that that book that you have in front of you is meant for all people. And all people need to hear these words and understand these words. So Peter says here, beginning in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. A number of things from the scripture that we see. First off, beginning in verse 11. Peter is reminding them that where they are at is a temporary place. Where you are at now, even though you may have been in that same location for 10, 20, 30, 40 plus years. 
You can spend your entire life in the same place. But the reality is when you come to know Christ, you realize that where you are at is a temporary assignment. Just as like in the military, the military goes out, they are in a place that they are stationed. And while they're in that place that they are stationed, they are to go about the business that they are assigned to do. We, in fact, are stationed in this place of life. We are stationed in our job. We are stationed in our family. We are stationed in our homes. And what Peter wants him to understand is that you don't need to forget that. That this world is not all that there is. In fact, this world is nothing compared to the world that is to come. So even though they are being dispersed and even though they are going out, he knows the tendency is that they're going to establish a new house and a new home. And he wants them to understand that if you do that, just realize that no no matter how comfortable it is, no matter how safe it is, no matter how much you like it, you are just traveling through. Think of that old song, Wayfaring Stranger. I'm an old wayfaring stranger traveling through this world of what? Woe. So we're traveling through this word, whereas we saw this morning, we have sicknesses, we have cancers, we have broken bones, we have sciatic nerves, we have dogs with ticks. We have all of these things going on in this world, and Peter is reminding them to not get so wrapped up in this world that you think that this world is all that there is. You know, it's got to be a depressing life to think that this world is all that it is. To think that you go through all of this for nothing. Now, I would say in general, we, if you compare us to the, the world as a whole, we're very blessed. We're very blessed. The ages that we are, the health care that we have, the, the jobs that we're able to get, the, the fact that we can come here without any sort of persecution, at least as of this date, aimed at us. But what Peter wants them to understand is as you go out, just remember, this is a temporary assignment. And as you go out, he says this, you need to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your what? Your soul. Now, I have some, some things that I've been thinking about going to this particular scripture this week about these passions of the flesh. And I think about, as we're looking at the scripture, the type of sins that are out there. Uh, my grandfather, I used to, I loved his sermon when he said, he talked about the sins of commission and omission. If you've never heard that, you've got sins that you commit, which are commission, and you've got the sins that you inadvertently commit, which are omission. You do it, you sin, but you don't realize it. It's the same as going 75 in a 35 mile an hour speed zone. Even though you didn't know that it was 35, your lack of knowing doesn't mean that the speed limit is going to be changed for you. So, so there's this understanding that, that there are sins out there. And there are a multitude of sins. My goodness. Speeding. Um, talking on your phone while you're driving down the road. Both of those. I did this morning, unfortunately. So I'm repenting to you this morning. Uh, I, guess what? Some of you have done the same things. Um, those are just something we, we think of them as baby sins. But the reality is the Bible says that all sins, every single sin is condemning. 
I told some kids one time, if you were perfect, completely perfect, and the only thing you did was steal a stick of gum from your teacher when she was not looking, that sin alone would be enough to send you to hell. The Bible says that only perfection gets into heaven. Only perfection gets into heaven. Only complete sinlessness gets into heaven. And if you have sinned one time, that's it. Now, my dogs, I'm just going to, is it, is, it, is it like whining a little bit? Do you hear it? That's better. My dogs at the house, I love my dogs. But if I, my dog has been sitting on a pillowcase for seven or eight months, I don't care how many times you wash it, I'm not going to put that pillowcase on my pillow and put my head on it. Amen? Amen. Do you get what I'm getting at? It may seem like nothing to us. In fact, we compare ourselves to other people. I'm not as bad as that person is over there. Or that person has committed that sin. That sin is no different than the sin that I've committed. But the reality is we're judging wrongly. We're to judge against a whole, an almighty, holy, and righteous God. And when we do that, we have no ground to stand. We have no place to stand. So there are these passions within us, these sins that are in us. But I believe also as you look at Scripture, you see that getting deeper when you think of passions of the flesh. The, 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 the sexual passions and all those things that are wrapped up in those things. Whether it be uh, lust, whether it be pornography, whether it be infidelity, all those different types of things. And what you see here in this Scripture is sin wars against your flesh. But there are some sins, I believe, as we look at Scripture, that their passion of those sin is a direct conflict with your soul. Every sin is a conflict with your soul. But when you see people that are wrapped up in some sort of sexual sin, what you see is a very present war going on. Because those sins tap into something within us that God has designed for one place and one location. And that's in the, the, the marriage of a man and a woman together. But they wage against our soul. Not only those, but all sins wage against our soul. And so what Peter says to him in verse 12, he says, You need to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Now, when he says Gentiles, really, who does he mean? He means all people that are unbelievers. You see, to the Jew, there was the Jew and then there was the Gentile. For the Christian, there is the saved and there is everyone else. You know, God doesn't look at us by race, by color, by ethnicity, by social economic status. Basically, when we look at, God looks at the world, He sees two different sorts of people. Those that have surrendered their life to Christ and are His and are going into heaven and all those that are in need of salvation that have not received it. And so what He says is as you're walking out there, keep your conduct Honorable. Why do you think it would be important to keep their conduct honorable? Think about your own children. When your children go out and do something, yeah, we'll say something about your children, but who do we always work our way back to? You. It's true. I've had kids in the past, and most kids don't respond to this as well, but then when I'm in school, I will say to them, do you love your mom or dad? And they'll say yes. It's not always the case, but they'll say yes. So do you respect your mom and dad? It's not always the case, but sometimes yes. I said, do you realize that you're a reflection of your mom and dad? Huh? In other words, when you do what you're doing, we see what you do, but we automatically by default look at your parent and think there's something wrong happening at home that your parent hasn't done something right with you. 
Now, the reality is, I'm just going to be honest with you, some parents have done everything they know to do, and that's just their child. The way the child acts is not always a reflection of the parent, but what do we always assume? That there's something going on at home. Let me say to you that your conduct as a believer in Christ speaks directly to God. It speaks directly to the character of God. It speaks directly to the the holiness of God. And so what he's saying here is as you're going out there, you need to make sure that no matter what happens to you, that that when they speak against you as evildoers, even though you didn't do evil, when they speak about you that way, make sure they speak about you from the hardness and the hate in their heart and not because of what you've done. Look what it says here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, verse 12, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What does that mean? They're not going to glorify your deeds now. They're not going to glorify God for your deeds now. But one day, the Bible says, every knee and every tongue will confess. And when that knee is bowed and that tongue has to confess and that person goes into judgment, what they are going to remember are all those believers who stood before them. And despite the persecution, in spite the false accusations, in spite all the things that have been done to them, they're going to be able to look back and say, regardless of what I did, they still were faithful to Christ. And so when you see that in the scripture, that they will glorify God on the day of visitation, they will say, I have seen your children, and your children are a direct representation of the Father because the children have been faithful. So he says here, to go out, excuse me, to be found honorable, to to not do anything that causes you to be spoken of honestly as an evildoer. The world will call you evildoers. The world will call you all sorts of things. Um, You see that now with the abortion debate and many of these other debates in our society. Um, And you can see the destruction that is brought about by all of these different social issues that are going on and people trying to speak truth and trying to talk about helping the mother and helping the unborn child. And even though we're wanting everybody to survive and to to thrive, we're spoken of as evil. Not just that issue, but multitudes of issues. Anytime you step into someone's life, regardless of what the issue is, and you try to patiently, lovingly, prayerfully move them in the right direction, you are labeled as the problem, not them. Do you get what I'm saying? saying? Do you smell what I'm stepping in? We are seen as the problem, but God says this, it is okay because one day they're going to see. One day they're going to give God honor because they have seen your persistent, consistent witness in the gospel. That's why we go into verse 13 and he says this. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this, verse 15, is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's go to the first two verses, and we're probably not going to finish all this today. 
It says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. What does that mean? For a student, it would mean that whether you like the teacher or not, you're still going to respect that teacher's rules and you're going to do what that teacher tells you to do. Unless, as I've told my own children, unless it's illegal, unethical, or immoral. You are going to follow their rules. You don't have to like them, but you will respect them. They may not deserve your respect, but you're going to show respect. To the employee, I don't like my boss. Okay. You need the money though, don't you? But I like my boss. Okay. Your job in that place is to be faithful, to respect that authority. And of course, in those situations, if you don't like that authority, you can do what? Get another job. But if you find yourself in a situation where you cannot respect their authority and you cannot do what they ask you to do, and I'm going to add to that, they are asking you to do something unethical, illegal, or immoral, then you need to remove yourself from that situation all the while making sure to keep your witness. In our country, whether you like our president or not, there are a lot of people who want to disrespect this president there's also people that want to disrespect the last president. There are a lot of people that like to disrespect people just because. And this particular passage, I think, is really hard for our, us as a nation because we don't like anybody telling us what to do. And we don't like anybody telling us we have to respect anybody or follow anybody. But there's an old saying I wanted to share with you this morning that you've heard very often. The devil you know is many times better than the devil you don't know. And so that person that's in charge of you has been put there by God, has been allowed to be there by God. And I want you to go a little further. Let's talk about government issues in verse 14. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Even in the worst dictatorship in this land, in this world, there is some structure there that does keep ultimate evil at bay. A great example of this, I think, and you may disagree with me, and that's okay, if you take the country of Iraq. I, 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 you know, I, I love to listen to the news and read the news, but thinking about Saddam Hussein in Iraq, this is not saying that the, the, the event to go in there to remove him was right or wrong. Let's just take that as an example. Saddam Hussein was evil. The way he treated his people, the way he treated his neighbors. When he was taken out... What came in its place? ISIS. ISIS was more evil than Saddam Hussein. Now, if you were somebody in that particular country and you served under Saddam Hussein, yes, there were human tragedies that happened under Saddam Hussein. But it was even worse with ISIS. You see, many times we want to buck the, the, the authority that we have. And there are ways to do that in a peaceful, loving, respectful way. Civil rights movement of the 60s and 70s. That, a lot of that was a peaceful way. There are ways to do that in a God-honoring way. But at the end of the day, those leaders are there for a reason. And as evil as Saddam Hussein was, he still kept an even greater evil from rising up in his country. Does that make sense? Not saying it's right, not saying what we did was right or wrong, 
But the truth of the scripture is this. There are people, even authority today, who are lost and are going to hell that are every shade of evil and every shade of immoral. And yet they do, in some twisted way, honor the right and curtail or harm the wrong. And so what he's saying here is no matter where you're at, whether you're in the United States of America, whether you're in Canada, whether you're in Mexico, whether you're in Russia, whether you're in Czechoslovakia, whether you're in Australia, wherever you're at, your job is to respect the authority that is over you. And when you do that, what he says here is that you are honoring God by your respect. Again, I am not saying to do anything illegal, immoral, or whatever the other word was at this point. That's, I'm not saying that. And he says in verse 16, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover for evil, but living as servants of God. So he's saying you really have a freedom in Christ, but be careful how you use that freedom. Paul, I think I preached on this. It's been, everything's a blur sometimes thinking about some of the passages that I preached. But there was a sermon that I preached on Paul and somebody partaking of the meat at the temple. If you remember that scripture, I believe I preached. If not, it's in the scripture. You can go back and look at it. But there were people that were going to the temple and partaking of meat that were sacrificed to other gods. And so Paul had to kind of de- decide how this was supposed to be understood. And what, and what was happening were people were going to the temple and they were saying, okay, I know this God doesn't exist. This is just them running around jumping up. This is good meat, so I'm going to eat the meat because this God doesn't exist. And Paul said two things. He said, you're right in your understanding, but you're wrong in your application. Paul says, what you need to understand is that even though you understand that the meat is something you can partake of, Guess what? Your brother in Christ is weak in the faith, may not understand that truth, may not have grasped that truth. So when you take of that meat, of that temple, of that person they're worshiping, which this person probably just finished worshiping to follow Christ, you're making them think that what they have chosen in Christ is wrong. And Paul says, you are in fact sinning when you do that. What Paul says here is you are, you are to live as people who are free, but don't use your freedom to cover up for evil. Don't do things that look good but underneath have the wrong motivations. Don't don't do things that that make that lift up your status in whatever community you're in, but yet others are stumbling or struggling or persecuted because of you. And then we're going to end in verse 17 because I think this really sums it up where Peter says this. What it, what are we to do then with this? We are to honor who? Everybody, all people, all mankind. We're to show honor to every person, regardless of age or race or gender or gender confusion or whatever the case is. We are to love all people and walk with all people. We're to love the brotherhood. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to fear God and we're to honor God. The emperor, of course we have no emperor, but we honor those that govern among us. The goal ultimately, though, is for you to do good, to not use your freedom of Christ to cover up sin, and to realize that, again, going back to the very first part, we are only here temporarily, and we have a witness that matters in the lives of people around us, 
And here's the thing is, if we're consistent with our witness, then we are more able to speak to other people about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ.